We're going to continue on in Colossians. We're in chapter 1, and we're going to be covering verses 9 through 14 this morning. So um, if you don't already so, pause and get your Bibles. Always good to follow along in the physical copy of the Word of God. Um, But let us read it. Uh, Again, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Paul continues, And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have transferred us out of darkness into the kingdom of light, that we are considered saints that your spirit deposited in us guarantees that that will happen because it's your plan and you are sufficient, you are good, and that you've sealed us for your purposes, God. We thank you so much for that. We understand that in being um, partakers in this kingdom that we carry the light of Christ in us, Lord, and it's a dark world out there, Father, in which you have called us to shine forth with the gospel, Lord, leading forth, God, with that truth. And Lord, as events have continued to culminate over the last week, um, very difficult to watch, but we know that um, as a world looks for answers, as a world looks to find hope and not understanding the unrest, the unrest and the uneasiness, um, the chaos, Father God, as the nations rage, as Psalm 2 says, Father, I pray that the gospel would be ever-present on our lips, Father, that we would be ready not only with the right answers, but the compassionate heart and the grace that was extended to us, we would extend to the person who is in front of us and around us, and that your gospel would so saturate our conversation, Father God, that we would be constantly pointing to the answer who is Christ. It is the only eternal answer to any of the world's problems which all come from hearts who are bent on themselves, and we call that sin. And so, Lord, help us. Help us here at Shawnee Baptist Church be a light to our communities and then thus the nations, Father God. May we be ready with the gospel, Lord. May we be ready with the gospel, Lord. May it be rich in us. May we know who Christ is intimately, personally, and not just intellectually, Father God. Lead us, Father, in the way everlasting. Guard our hearts and our minds from the enemy as he looks to devour, to destroy, to steal. Lord, help us in this endeavor. Lord, and as we look at this passage here, as Paul engages the Colossian church, Father God, help us learn and grow with eyes to see, with ears to hear, Father. Not, let us not look at this as something just historical, but as something very applicable to today, as something that's living and active, and that will groom our hearts, Father, and our actions and our lives and our hearts for the purposes of 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 your gospel going forth. We love you. We trust you. In this passage, in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
As we look at uh, verse 9, as we jump into the text, Paul says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I think as we get started here, it's helpful just to remind ourselves, Paul is still in, he's still in the introduction. Mm-hmm. He's still greeting these believers that he's actually never met. And everything we covered last week reminds us he, he's telling them he's never met them, but he's heard of them. He's heard of right. their testimony. He's heard of their lives. And there were things that he uh, gave thanks to God uh, about some of the characteristics that were true in their lives last week. So last week, his prayer was, here's all the things I'm thankful for in you. Right, right. This week, he's continuing to pray. So he, he reminds us, that since we heard about you and your testimony of faith, now here's what I'm asking God for on your behalf. Right. He's continuing to pray. So as we jump into it, I think it's going to teach us a few things that are uh, important and true about our prayer lives, the way we should be praying. Yeah. And I think it's also going to teach us a significant amount about what the life of a believer is supposed to look like, what should be important to us uh, in terms of uh, our walk with Christ and the way we live, the, the daily sanctification of our growing in Christ. The kinds of things Paul prays for for the Colossians are the kinds of things we should be praying that God would do in our lives yeah. and, and that our lives would look similar. Yeah, this prayer isn't uh, somehow historically caught in a moment in time and just left there for that church. This is the living word of God, right? This is yeah. Paul, an apostle, who is showing us and demonstrating it. What does it look like to actually pray for a church or yeah. to pray for people or to, um, when we go to God on people's behalfs, what, what's important to pray for? Yeah. Um, I think that if we look at our American culture and certainly in ways that we either were brought up or even in ways that we even now pray, how um, trivial maybe sometimes yeah. are the things that we pray for. Not that God doesn't care, yeah. but what are the deep things? So I, th- I think what's also important too are two things. Um, when, we read a, when we read a letter, right, Paul's writing to a church. It's nonetheless a church he didn't even plant, right, right. in one sense. God worked through Epaphras, to, to, you know, and as um, Epaphras came to faith, what, in Ephesus through Paul's preaching, that went and, and birthed this church here. When we read a letter like this, we're only getting one side of a conversation, yeah. right? I think every, as you read the letters and the epistles, uh, Philippians, Ephesians, you know, all, all these, you're almost like a, it's almost like being on one side of a phone call, right? Yeah. And you're hearing somebody talk to another person in your house. You're only getting one side of that conversation. Right. So to the best of our ability, we're gleaning information in regard to the church, um, the Colossian church here. Yeah. Um, number one. Number two, I think, is what you said is, is really important. How do, what, what are we trying to understand in regard to Paul praying mm-hmm. here? Because he says one thing in this very verse that, that we're going to really take apart some of this other things. But he leads it and he says, and so from the day, in verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And then he says, asking. Yeah. We have not ceased to pray for you and asking. It's almost like, well, when you hear somebody and I have, I have some needs and you say, well, I'll pray for you. Awesome, thanks. Yeah. That's one thing. You don't, you don't necessarily give pause. But if somebody says, I will pray for you, and this is what I'm going to pray, yeah. all of a sudden that becomes very narrow and very focused, right? It draws yeah. attention almost like, listen, this is what specifically I've been praying for you. Um, and then, you know, Paul states what this yeah. specifically is. Almost yeah. like, oh, uh, oh, that's what you're praying for me? Right. And it's like, wow. You yeah. actually take it in a lot more. You become a lot more focused on that. So that's what Paul is doing as he's introducing what's going on. I'm going to pray for you, but not I'm going to pray for you. This is what I'm asking yeah. in particular. Yeah. So I think that as we kind of work through this, know that this is very focused and that we should take heed to what is being said right here. So here's that phrase. Just as you set that up, 
Paul's asking that the Colossian believers would be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's God's will, that the Colossian believers would know that their knowledge of God's will would be filled, that it would increase, that they would have a better understanding of who God is. Now, really, for the next however long we talk about this, we're going to be unpacking what that means to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Mm -hmm. So we'll kind of We'll come back to that thought of what that means to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. But where does the text tell us where does the knowledge of God's will come from? Mm. Uh, And as the verse goes out, it's the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Some translations say through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, The idea there, that little prepositional phrase of in or through, you you might be able to think of it in terms of that it's it's uh, consisting of, Mm -hmm. that the knowledge of God's will consists of or it comes through spiritual understanding and wisdom. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is how we're supposed to think, excuse me, spiritual wisdom and understanding, right. that this helps us know and understand what God's will is. Right. So when we think of knowing God's will yeah. um, or what God's will looks like and we right. think of um, we're praying for God's will in our life, yeah. um, this is something different than maybe what we have grown up to understand, yep. right? How is it? How is it different? I, I should ask. Well, I, I think so. So often, when we think of finding God's will or knowing God's will, we think of it as some secret, mysterious. Um, we very self-centered often, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that that what is God's will for me in my future? some unknown, am I supposed to buy this house? Am I supposed to get this job? Am I supposed to marry this person? Am I supposed to move? I want to do what God's will is. But I don't think that's, uh, it's not that it's wrong to seek God's will in those instances, but that's not consistent necessarily with the way scripture speaks of knowing and understanding God's will. Uh, These verses help us understand what knowing God's will and uh, is Mm -hmm. Uh, spiritual wisdom and understanding how do we understand who God is how do we know and have spiritual understanding of God's will the clearest revelation of who God is would be scripture itself that this is what teaches us uh, gives us spiritual understanding it's what gives us spiritual wisdom that that God himself has revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ, right. which is recorded in these words. Uh, uh, the revelation that God has given to himself of who God is and how he's worked through history, God's spirit applies these words to our hearts and lives to teach us who he is. Right. So, uh, in essence, when, when you, I guess you phrase it well, and that um, maybe the misconception is you're trying to find God's will. Yeah. When right. God says, you don't have to find it, I've revealed it to you. Right. And contrary, people think, oh no, am, am I in God's will? Like you've lost it somehow, like you don't know where to go, like you've missed the next X that you're yep. supposed to stand on and walk right. through life. And I, I, and I remember when I was younger, fearing, uh, with great fear, that yeah. I was out of God's will in the sense right. that I wasn't on a particular path that was only cut for my eternal purposes yeah. that w- w- was here, you know right. what I mean? And that if I was over here, then I, I needed to find my way back to wherever right. this X trail was. Right. And then that's not what this being said here at all. Uh, that it's actually the, the reality is that God has revealed his will yes. through the personal work of Christ, how yes. he's going to deal with man. Yeah. And finding God's will or knowing God's will or being filled with the knowledge of God's will yep. is going to happen through the revelation 
um, of basically the story of Christ, so how God came to man in Christ, which we call Scripture. Yeah. Right. This is the best lens by which we can view um, God's will. Correct. Okay. Correct. Often, Scripture t- Scripture doesn't talk to us about finding God's will so much as it does. You know it now. You need to do it. That that, mm-hmm. that we need to be obedient to God's will. So several places in Scripture would show this to us. If if uh, Let me flip to some of these verses. Psalm chapter 143, verse 10. The psalmist says this, David says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Here the psalmist, he isn't saying, Teach me what your will is. Teach me to do your will. Let, Let me obey what your will is. Here, God's will is synonymous with obedience to God and right. doing what we're supposed to do. Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here, there's this com- comparison and contrast that there's a certain way Christians are supposed to live circumspectly and carefully and under the influence of the Spirit. That's how they need to know and understand the will of God. And it's contrasted in verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's this spiritual obedience uh, to doing God's will com- mm-hmm. contrasted with a life without that. It's, it's very clear in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Again, coming back to obedience, <laughs> right, and right. for several verses, he's going to outline what that sanctification looks like and doesn't look like. Uh, and then in the very next chapter, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Um, more consistently, Scripture talks about knowing God's will, being filled with the knowledge of God's will, doing God's will in relation to our obedience and how we're supposed to live. Not that God's, not that we're supposed to be finding some secret plan. And so you'll see then that the next several verses in Colossians bear this out. When Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, right. he's going to show them what that looks like. And he's, the next several verses all explain what that means to be filled with God's will, what that produces in their lives. And you're going to see it's, it's obedience to God's revealed will in Scripture, the, who the person of Jesus Christ is, and what bearing and impact that should have in our lives. Right. In essence, if we want to know God's will, he's already revealed it to us. Yes. Open your Bible and do, basically. Yes. Take in, understand who God is, what he's done for us, and respond accordingly. Uh, Richard Mellick says this. uh, He says, the point is that God discloses a knowledge of himself. He actually Uh shows us. He discloses it through the scriptures and through Christ's life. It was unthinkable that someone could simply learn to know God. Most, Most truths may be learned. Divine truth must be revealed. And so he's talking about that second part of the scripture, filled with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's God's spirit who reveals that will to you. That's why it's not just an intellectual ascent as we open up the Bible. There are many people who study the Bible in... uh, Sad to say, seminaries that were founded in, you know, in the very, very early stages yeah. of our country who in no way apply this to their lives. Yeah. And so they're reading this on an intellectual basis. And so that the divine revelation of that has not made them alive. They're still dead, even though they're reading the word of God. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay, let's move on then. Yep. Okay, so implications or knowing God's will. I guess we move on to verse uh, 10, right? 
Yes, yeah, so, so what will all of this spiritual wisdom and understanding produce in our lives? What's the purpose of it? Why are we supposed to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Well, so as, or for the purpose of, or with the intent that, we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That idea of walking in the New Testament is often used as a metaphor for living the Christian life, so that right. our lives would be worthy, um, worthy of the Lord, that we would live in a manner worthy of the Lord, yeah. fully pleasing to Him. That's what, that's what being filled with the knowledge of God is supposed to produce in our lives. Christian lives who are fully pleasing to the Lord. Um, that's a huge, powerful imagery that, that, that uh, one who bears the name of Christian, child of God, mm -hmm. member of the family of God, Right. citizen of the heavenly kingdom would would live in such a way that they are consistently worthy bringing honor to that family name right it's it's that sacrificial understanding almost i think about romans 12 1 right i appeal to you brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing yeah uh, or holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship it's that yes. understanding of um, being pleasing unto God or, or, or um, offering your life uh, yeah. as uh, every day, in and out. This is who I am, and I'm pleasing uh, to God. Yeah. Yeah. So when that happens in our lives, what, what, do, what do Christians who live in a, in a worthy manner and Christians who are fully pleasing to God, there's certain characteristics that are going to be true in their lives. And the rest of the verses here kind of give... Um, you, you might be able to break them up into four characteristics or four things that mm -hmm. will be true. And Paul is praying that all of this would result in the life of the Colossians. Um, verse 11, number one, excuse me, still in the middle of verse 10, verse 10 the first yeah. one, bearing fruit in every good work. And then secondly, increasing in the knowledge of God. So here's two things that will be true. Number one, they will bear fruit in every good work. Yeah. Christians are, are going to act and live and do things, bear fruit that Christians do. Mm -hmm. um, and secondly, they're going to be increasing in the knowledge of God. Both of these are very significantly important. Right. I think that, um, especially with the bearing fruit, there, there's a constant cause and effect in Scripture. In other words, our, our right beliefs and understanding of who God is is not merely intellectual, it's personal. Right. Um, so I can understand that Christ, what Christ did for me, right? As I said before, we've got plenty of people who study the scriptures, but th there's no effect or implication on their life. But no, but God is saying that if you understand my truth and my revelation, my will yep. uh, for mankind based on what I've done in the person and work of Jesus Christ, um, then that's going to impact you personally. And in your work, you will be bearing fruit, um, that there's a cause and effect of that, that the Spirit's working in you. We know this in John 15, right? Those who don't bear fruit, what happens yep. to them? They're cut off. Right. Why? There's no life in them. Okay, You've tried right. to be in the vine in the sense that you've associated yourself yeah. as a follower. But we watched all through the Gospels, right? Even all through Matthew after that Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure he lost a lot of people when they said, hey, to hate is to murder. Oh, crud. I would rather hate people. Or you can't yes. commit adultery. Oh, I'd rather. And they start to drop off. They associate themselves as if there's a benefit to doing that, but the reality is, there's, if there's no fruit, it's actually dead, and it will be cut off, as John 15 talks about that. But if you're in Christ, you're actually in the vine, the Spirit can't not produce fruit in you. Why? Because that's what God does for His glory through His people. So there's yes. in that working and the, and, and the fruit therein. So. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 speak to that, that the good works, verse 10, 
is is what God has prepared beforehand that we would walk, walk in, in them. Those who those who have been saved uh, would live that out. Um, so that's bearing in, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing right. in the knowledge of God. What a neat thought there that we as believers, similar to coming back to what He said in verse nine, that uh-huh. we would that we would grow in the knowledge of His will, that we would increase in the knowledge of God. And so I, I think that this is um, something that should be on the heart and mind of every believer, that we increase in our understanding of who God is. Again, like you said, not just mere intellectual pursuit, uh, but yet certainly th- there are inexhaustible depths to the knowledge of God that we need to be mining, that we need to be understanding. Uh, to, 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 to know God is to experience him, to be... Uh, to experience his presence more deeply, uh, it, it, we want to know who he is and understand him. Right. I right, think right. one of the dangers in particular for us in the Christian church uh, is that there is a level of knowledge about God that we become comfortable with and complacent in. Mm. Uh, you think of some of the uh, some of the rudimentary Sunday school knowledge facts about who God is. And we may think, hey, as long as we can get that kindergarten, elementary level, don't need to advance beyond that. Uh, there are certain facts that we try to teach kids about God, and then far too many kids grow into adults never advancing beyond that knowledge of who God is. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, we think of, uh, we, we save the knowledge and study of God for this elite group of well, people in full-time ministry or theology right. nerds or pastors and missionaries. They're the ones who need to read the books about God and increase in the knowledge of God. And so, you know, if you're a church member and the when when difficult theological issues about God come to you, if you find yourself willing to say, I don't need to know that, I'm not a pastor, that's a dangerous place to be. Um, You, as a child of God who has the Word of God and the Spirit of God living in you, uh, have the, the, the mandate and the responsibility and the privilege of digging into Scripture and learning and knowing who God is. Uh, John Calvin said it this way. He said, faith rests not on ignorance, but on knowledge. And this is indeed knowledge not only of God, but of the divine will. If you find yourself comfortable in saying, uh, I, I have the Sunday school, I have faith, I've, I've trusted in Jesus Christ, but I don't need to know the complicated things about God. Um, that, that's a dangerous place to be because you can be swept along with every... Uh, false doctrine, you can be, your faith then is not founded on the true knowledge of who God is and the knowledge of his will. Your Mm -hmm. faith is founded on um, some type of belief that that may not be full and true. It might be ignorant, and that's not the place we should be resting. Right. I think of uh, the woman at the well, right, where she living water is, you constantly come back to it for satisfaction. Faction, um, and then there's even more after that. I think about the Gospel of John, where at the end he says, "There could be more. We could fill books and books and books. There was so yeah. much more that he did. It was almost like he couldn't contain it. Right. Like there was so much more of that of that well. Um, yeah. And I think our wells run dry, but his, uh, but the living water can still be poured into us so that we can understand. Um, I absolutely think there's a. I, I know in my life, I'll say this. Um, as a personal testimony that, you know, being in the church when I was 11 on and doing yep. missions and 
being at church three days a week for so many, so many years, um, going to a lot of different countries, all of that. I, I came to a place where I felt like I knew at least enough that I, that I could until I went and I was challenged in some areas and challenged with some um, difficulties in life. Yeah. And what happened was is it, it pushed me into scriptures and the study. Yeah. When I began to study the scriptures even more and I started with the Old Testament and such, I remember just breaking down and learning about the grace of God for the mm -hmm. first time in a ton of passages in the Old Testament that I had not seen it, and it was clear as day. Uh, had I read it? Absolutely. I'd read through some of those stories many, many, many times, but I had not seen the grace of God. But why was it there? Because my faith, knowing that this book, because it, uh, it shows us who Christ is perfectly and what his intentions towards man is, it's, it's because that, by God's Spirit, saw my faith and almost activated what God meant in that, showed me more of who he was and such. Um, Robert, when I was studying this, something resonated with me greatly that I, I think I, I saw in me and that I see in the church as a whole, um, and it's certainly in American Christianity, and he says this, he goes, at its root, the Colossian crisis, okay, um, why Paul's writing them and encouraging them, yep. the Colossian crisis is a crisis of knowing God, and so it is with every challenge to a congregation's spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. So very much like you said, that we have this thing where, you know, if we... If we've come to Christ, we've said the prayer, uh, and by faith we're good, we're good to go. Maybe we've, we've even been baptized, yeah. first obedient step we should be taking, and we're taking communion, but that's all we've done, and yeah. that we can now associate ourselves. No, there are depths that you have not plunged into yeah. who God is and what Christ has done, uh, the, the, um, the work of God, the work of Christ, how it applies not only to your life in salvation, but how it works itself out through sanctification. Chewing over it, chewing over it, chewing yeah. over it. Um, and watch it produce yeah. more and more fruit as it prunes you as a person. Uh, I, I think we've said it before. Uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, one of his sayings was the, the, the greatest problem in the church today is that we don't know who God is and we don't know who we are. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so many of the issues that we come back to uh, and the, the, the issues that we wrestle with fail from a deficient understanding of who God is. And um, it's so neat to see that when Paul prays for the Colossians, he prays that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Right. Um, when you go through the people on your prayer list, are you praying that they would increase in the knowledge of God? That would be one of the best things you could be praying for people. Yeah, well, we pray for our missionaries um, around yeah. our table. I've said this before, but one of the things that we pray for them constantly, and this, this is something I really start to pray, and uh, is that... The God, that they would know the gospel and yeah. it would still bring joy to them so that yeah. then they would be um, almost catapulted or yeah. thrust into whatever their environment is with joy knowing the gospel that more deeply. Yeah. Like, but they're already missionaries. I get right. it. But what got them there and what's going to sustain yes. them there? It's knowing That's Christ a great, gospel. great point. Great prayer. So uh, we're, we're walking through these characteristics. They bear fruit in every good work. They increase in the knowledge of God. Number three, look at verse 11 that they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So that this third thing is that the believers are supposed to be strengthened with all of God's power for mm -hmm. endurance and, and patience. Um, Paul knew that there were difficult days ahead for the Colossians, that they were in the midst of difficult days, and he prays for them to have strength not, not that they would be strengthened in their inner selves, but that right. they would be strengthened with God's power, that they would be strengthened with power that comes from God's glorious might 
Yes. It wasn't that they themselves were great right, and right. Could, could muster their own strength, but that God in all of his glorious might would strengthen them for endurance and patience. People that, that bear up under trial, that are sustained under difficulty, uh, they need endurance and patience. Um, that's an interesting wording there. Yeah. They're praying for strength, for endurance and patience. Yeah. Like, unpack that a little bit. <laughs> it, it's... it's it's different than the way I tend and am tempted to pray for myself and others when right. I find myself in, if, if, if I'm going through trial, if I'm weak and need to be strengthened, right. I'm usually praying things like, or I'm tempted to pray for others, God, uh, strengthen them, use your glorious power to get them out of this mess. Can you calm the seas again so, right. that, so that then they can... Uh, live the comfortable, easy life. God, can you take me, can you use all of your glorious might to fix this problem? Mm -hmm. um, rarely am I willing to think of it this way in the sense of, God, use all of your glorious might that, that I could endure, mm -hmm. that I could have patience, um, that I would l walk through this trial in a manner that's worthy of you and fully pleasing to you. I'm going to need God's strength, God's endurance, God's patience right. if I'm going to get through that trial. Not just get around it, not just get over it, right. um, but actually through it, endure it, mm -hmm. be, be refined through it, as 1 Corinthians talks about. Um, that, that we would be people who, with, with patience and endurance, are strengthened with all of God's might to endure trial. Right. I think this is, this is Paul saying yet again, um, in my weakness, you are strong. Yeah. Paul's not saying, um, hey, take, turn my weakness into strength, per se. He's saying, yeah. no, in my weakness, no, you're, you're my sufficiency, you're right. my strength through this process. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that we look at, um, as we looked at Matthew, right, yeah. we, just, we just walked through the Sermon on the Mount, and we said, what, what do we say about prayer? When we pray, yeah. God knows what we want, but why are we praying? So that God's mind is changed as if he doesn't know what we need right. or want? No, so that our hearts are changed. Yep. And so I think that if we look at our weakness and our insufficiency um, in light of Christ, and we bring that before the throne, I think our hearts are changed, even though our circumstances might not be changed one iota. And we might have to, as, as the scripture says, with patience and joy and endurance. Endurance, another word, yeah. long-suffering. Right, right. Pretty much means what it says. We are suffering for a long time and nothing is changing. Um, but I think that we can easily get caught up in, may my prayers drift to remove this obstacle yeah. versus help me carry this obstacle, not knowing that God is strengthening my body right. as he's holding me, as he's holding me up under um, that yeah. trial, that difficulty. Why, God, why? Yeah. Um, and we're not going to get necessarily that yeah. answer sometimes, um, but we are going to get you're sufficient in this, and there is joy in the suffering. And that's the only, it's the only place you can find yeah. joy in the suffering. It's yeah. the only place. Yep. And so as we long suffer, as we have that patience, as we endure in that time, yep. it's, it's God holding us up uh, for his yep. glory. And he's, it's his power. It's his strength. Amen. And in that endurance and patience, you touched on it, that there's joy and then that joy goes into thanks in the next verse. Walk us through some of that. What is, what is Paul giving thanks for here? What should, the, what should the believers be giving thanks for? 
Right. He, he literally lays it out. I, I love it. He, he not only prays for something, but he, it's almost like he's trying to wrap it. Understand what this package is wrapped. I'm praying for yeah. you, but understand that this is a gift, and the gift looks like this. And, and, and verse 12 says, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He, he, he's qual- Again, he's pointing back to the redemptive aspect of God has now taken you and he's given you an opportunity to share an inheritance. Like he's giving this understanding or painting the picture of father, son, firstborn type things where you get to share in what God has um, prepared for yeah. you um, through his life, death, and resurrection. You now get to share in that. Yeah. Uh, and so understand that you will have suffering right now, but you are now in light. You are being shined upon yeah. by the Father. He's smiling upon you. You went from death to life. And you get to share in inheritance. So that inheritance yeah. is something that is like, okay, think now. Understand that you're in yeah. light now. But there is something to come. There is something to come. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to say, understand, you're going to be going through a lot, church. Colossian church. Yeah. Um, it's going to be difficult. And we're going to read about some of what, um, some of the ideas, some of the knowledge yeah. that's coming up against them and ideas and um, what they're uh, attempting to fight the conflation of gospel mm-hmm. versus knowledge of the world. Um, but he's saying, no, there, there's something else coming down. That, hold up on lo- long suffer. Know that there's an inheritance waiting and you're in my light. I'm shining yeah. on you. Yeah. I love how he brings them back to that inheritance. This is what fuels some of the joy. This is what gives them reason to endure because uh, there's an inheritance coming. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, verse 13, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul comes back and focuses on the gospel. He says, listen, I want you to know, I want you to grow in your understanding of what the will of God is. Here's what it's going to produce in your lives. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to increase in the knowledge of God. You're going to patiently uh, endure, be strengthened with God's power, Mm. and then give thanks for the gospel and the fact that God has transferred for you into the kingdom of his son christian you have been forgiven your sins it's as if paul puts the the neon blinking strobe light on hello do you realize how good this picture (laughs) is right right um some of the things and challenges facing the colossian believers their greatest challenge the fact that they needed the forgiveness of their sins that's what god has taken care of uh, with this inheritance and paul wanted to set their sights on it d.a carson says it this way he says if god had perceived that our greatest need was economic he would have sent an economist If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. And as Paul refocuses the Colossian believers' minds on that, the same thing is true of us. In the world that we find ourselves in, with all of the issues, the things that have dominated our news headlines even in the last weeks and months, um, our greatest need before God and the greatest societal change that we need is hearts and lives transformed with the gospel. And that's what God has provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. I think that, um, as I said, we look at this book as a whole, and we're going to be going uh, through 
the reality that the Colossian church was being inundated by ways in which society outside of understanding the gospel want to fix or understand life, yeah. uh, want to help form what it means to have a good life or to live a good life or to live a, what it means to interact with each other. Um, what, what I think that our world still does is that they, they don't understand what's going on, so they formulate, you know, you know what better life would look like if this happens. Mm-hmm. Next, next generation comes. No, I think you kind of got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, that was too much of this. Now you need a little bit more of that. Yeah. And then you have the church, their attempt, um, and what they should be doing is saying, no, let me, let me hold the stalwart beacon, the yeah. canon, the, the non-movable understanding of what actually brings life and reconciliation is the gospel, the yeah. gospel, the gospel. And that light is constantly being shown in the darkness, just constantly. Right. In different dark times, it doesn't matter where it is, it's constantly being showed. But the, the temptation and what Paul's encouraging them not to fall into is to don't sit there and say, okay, society has this issue or this is, is being inflamed in culture. Yeah. The sin is coming. Don't look now to grab the wisdom of the world and try to wrap it into the gospel yeah. and saying that now this wisdom of the world and the gospel can now go hand in hand. Right. It never does. It never will. It right. won't. It will, it will either die or the gospel will lose its witness because it's no longer the gospel right. uh, anymore. So I think that we still have that problem today. Everyone's looking to throw everything at any problem that's out there, and yet we still find chaos. Yeah. Um, every year, sometimes every month. And that's only if we're looking at America. Forget, right. the, forget Look outside of our country. There's a whole bunch of other stuff going on that oftentimes we ignore when something right. flares up in our own backyard, yeah. which again is constant. Um, we need to be a church, and Paul is praying that we would understand and grasp the gospel and then pr- produce the fruit that comes from somebody who is gospel-centric, yeah. constantly reminding ourselves um, and growing in the knowledge of who God is and what that means for the person in front of us uh, as well as ourselves. Everything that you're saying reminds us why Scripture is so important and why our knowledge of Scripture as believers is so important. If we're going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, if we're going to grow in our spiritual wisdom and understanding, if we're going to increase in the knowledge of God, we won't find that apart from Scripture. We just won't. Um, And Christian, if your Bibles are dusty, um, you are going to have so much trouble sorting through all the noise of society, both inside the church and outside the church, as as there's just so much noise and commotion of everyone has their ideas about this is knowledge, this is truth, this is understanding. You won't be able to sort through it without a clear understanding and knowledge of who God is. So we've got to be in Scripture, number one. But then number two, that, that necessity that where does spiritual knowledge come from? It comes from an understanding of who God is. Mm. It comes from the Bible. It's not some quick, quick, easy, new, flashy... Um, be wary of people that that uh, we're so gullible as individuals and as Christians that hey read this book you can have a new marriage by Friday uh, take these four principles and it will revolutionize your parenting uh, take these three tricks and you will have a new church within six months mm-hmm. you know um, th- th- these kind of quick easy fixes most often are not rooted in a true knowledge of who God is. 
They're not rooted in spiritual wisdom and understanding. They're, they're things that make sense to the world and tricks that might make a flash, but so much of the Christian life is fantastically ordinary, as we like yeah. to say, as many have said before, you know, that uh, the, the, the knowledge of who God is comes from the Spirit of God through the Word of God, mm -hmm. and that's what we need to be longing for. D.A. Carson again said it this way. He said, Is there anything that our own generation more urgently needs than this? Some of us have chased after every fad, scrambled aboard every bandwagon, adopted every gimmick, pursued every encounter with the media. Others of us have rigidly cherished every tradition, determined to change as little as possible, worshipped what is aged simply because it is aged. But where are the men and women whose knowledge of God is as fresh as it is profound, whose delight in thinking God's thoughts after him ensures that their study of Scripture is never merely intellectual and self-distancing, whose desire to please God easily outstrips residual and corrupting desires to shine in public? Mm. That's mm. encouraging to say the least. Uh, I think you're right. I think that... Um, and, and I think Carson nails it. I think we do look for gimmicks. We look for quick fixes when the average or the extraordinary ordinary yeah. um, or what some might call the mundane, but Paul actually says that there's joy in the enduring yeah. reality of us pursuing the knowledge of who God is and walking that out in our lives. I think God does a work by it. Well, no, I know he does. It's God who grows the believer. And it's also, as, as uh, Corinthians 3 says, but it's also God who grows his church. It's God yeah. who builds the church. He grows his church. He sustains the church. Yeah. Um, it's understanding that um, God is sovereign in that. But we want to, if we want to grow, we want to understand God. If we want to grow our church, meaning that more people are deeper in their knowledge yeah. of God and their application of that knowledge yeah. of God with each other uh, and to a dying world. Um, that's the Spirit's job and the Spirit's work. So if, if we look to anything else other than God uh, and beseeching Him to do a work in our hearts first and then in, uh, with the people with whom we gather, um, then we're looking in the wrong direction. But we're going to find a new gimmick every, you know, every yeah. other year, a new book, a new 10 steps. Yep. Someone's going to get that 10 steps, by the way, down to 9 steps at some right. point, but no one's caught on to that yet. Um, that's going to happen, and yeah. uh, unfortunately, it's just—it's not like that. God doesn't do that within sanctification. Right. It's slow, and our flesh is strong. We yeah. want what we want, uh, but God um, desires to work through by His Spirit's work and the proclamation of the gospel to have a daily change in our lives. Yeah. But I love the way you said that, that there is, there is growth, there is change. People really do grow deeper in their knowledge of God. Yes. So one of the dangers here, you've, you've heard us talk about gimmicks and fads, and that we don't want to quickly jump ship every time something new comes along. What we're not saying here, don't hear us say that, that we don't ever change and that there isn't growth because th that's part of what was coming out in D.A. Carson's quote that we, we actually need to be increasing in the knowledge of God. It's not yeah. as if we just need to have some basic knowledge and then we never change and just keep doing what we've always done. No. Uh, we are increasing in the knowledge of God, ever pursuing a deeper understanding of who God is. And that is going to bring about change. Yeah. It's going to bring about growth. But it's not growth that's going to be measured primarily or firstly or only in attendance and budgets. Uh, it's not going to be growth that is seen in the number of cars in parking lots. It's going to be, hey, are you growing in the knowledge of God? 
Do you look more like Jesus this year than you did last decade? There are plenty of churches who haven't jumped on every bandwagon, who have never changed, but they're also not growing because uh, the individuals involved aren't increasing in the knowledge of God. Their lives are not looking more like Jesus. They are not living in every way pleasing to him. So one of the neat things in, in these five verses as we've walked through them when Paul prays in verse 9 that they would be uh, filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, uh, he takes the next several verses um, to say, here's what that looks like. Here's what it means to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. You're going to be bearing fruit in every good work. You're going to be increasing in the knowledge of God. You're going to be strengthened with all endurance and patience, strengthened with God's glorious might. You're going to be giving thanks for what God has accomplished in our lives through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, go and be obedient. Do that. Do that, yeah. Um, so as we, as we step out of this uh, and think kind of in the big picture, well, mm-hmm. before I get to the big picture, one of the other neat things to note in this prayer is that verses 9 to 14 that we just looked at, yeah. um, many of those things were true in verses 3 through 8. Yes. When Paul was thinking, here's the things I've heard about you, here's your reputation, um, Many of them are the things that then he turns around and says, and I pray it keeps happening even more. Again. Right. Again, yes. Uh, that that he, he, he said, man, I praise God for all the good things and the ways you're growing, and I pray that you keep growing. Yes. Which is a neat thing to see. As we, as we kind of look at the big picture, right, and as we think about application to our prayer lives, what should the way that Paul prayed for the Colossian believers how should that teach us to pray in our prayer lives? Right. I think that, and some of it, I think that we hit on a little bit. Um, what is God's heart? Okay, so I think God, uh, Paul, Paul is writing here because he's revealing what God's heart is when, when we pray. What are the truly important things um, that, that as we pray for somebody that we want them to know? Um, oftentimes, we just don't want suffering. We don't want hardships. We don't want anything hard. Yeah. Uh, anything difficult in their lives, and that's just not the case yeah. um, here. He's actually paying, praying for things that are saying, um, number one, because of your richness and understanding and your knowledge mm-hmm. of the gospel, hold up under suffering and do and do it with joy. Yeah, hold up with suffering, do it with joy. Know the gospel. Yeah, um, know it more, and know it more, and know it more. And he helps us. The more we understand who God is, the more we understand the gospel, um, and then the more we understand how we should be praying for each other. It'll be less more than, I pray she has a good day. It'll be, yeah. I pray she's enriched in God and through her pain during this time yeah. that she would understand you even more as being sufficient yeah. in the midst of her being very weak right now. Yeah. It's not that I don't pray for her to be healed. I do. Yeah. But I pray that she would know you and have joy in the midst of the difficult right. pain right. that she's in. Right. Uh, or it might be, hey, Jimmy doesn't have a job right now and he's been looking for a job for months. I pray that he would grow and understand that you're sufficient, that you're going to provide yeah. for him, and that he would trust you in the process, and that he would understand what it means to be diligent, looking to be approved unto God, not yeah. unto man, and that he'd just do his best in being forthright as he puts himself out there for work. Yeah. Things like that. I think that um, we always want to grow in who we are. Our, our, the eternal perspective yeah. needs to always be there. I'm God's right. son. I've been transferred from one place to another. I'm in a kingdom of right. light right now. Right. Uh, God's forgiven my sins. Let me pray accordingly for others. And may they rejoice in that beautiful understanding of being yeah. forgiven and reconciled unto God. Yeah. 
I, I think that's great. I think, I think another thing that I continue to be struck with is the fact that Paul uh, was praying this way for believers he didn't know. He had <laughs> right. never met. Um, man, it would, be, it would be revolutionary. It would be awesome. It would be life-changing, I think, if we as Christians prayed this way for our best friends in the church. Paul is praying this way for believers he's never met, similar to the way you, your family is praying for uh, our, our missionaries, you know, some of whom you have met and haven't met. But right. when we pray through our prayer lists for people, that uh, find, find a group of Christians that you don't know and pray Paul's prayer for believers for them. Mm. Um, and that will help orient our hearts around the way we should be praying. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think another thing just to then remember, okay, what is Paul doing in this introduction? What is he doing with this prayer? Um, Paul is setting all of this up because the knowledge of God's will and being rooted in it is going then to help. It's, it's going to be contrasted later on the book with, with a false knowledge, right? Okay. And there's a danger to be avoided when we particularly know and understand God this way. And I think that's something important to keep in mind as well. Yeah, it keeps you grounded. It keeps you saying, this is where I come from. I have life because of this. Yeah. And it keeps you grounded in understanding that when you're combated by other ideologies of the world or other philosophies, they're gonna ring, as Paul states, hollow. They're gonna yeah. read empty, yeah. lifeless. Yeah. Uh, and you'll see it a little bit more clearly. The more grounded you are in the story of Christ or the understanding of what God did for you, uh, the more you'll see them as empty, as you, you'll be left wanting. Yeah. Um, and other people will realize that they will see that in you yeah. uh, as you're producing that fruit that this says. Correct. So, Well, it's a neat passage to walk through. As you think about increasing in the knowledge of God this week, pick up in verse 15 and a few times through the week. Read, read verse 15 through, oh, the end of the chapter or so, or at least down to verse 20. Mm -hmm. That's going to be where we pick up again next week. There's so much revealed about who God is, who the person of Jesus Christ is, and uh, we'll look forward to unpacking that next week. Let's close in prayer. We're going to pray Paul's prayer for our church here at Shawnee. Father, we come to you and we ask that you would make us a continually prayerful people. And we, we ask, Father, that you would work in our lives to fill us with the knowledge of your will. Give us all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do this, please, Father, so that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, that we would bear fruit in every good work, that we would increase in the knowledge of you. Strengthen us, Father, with all of your glorious might. Give us all endurance and patience. Make us a joyful people that we would give thanks to you, God, for what you have done to qualify us for our sharing in the inheritance with our brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Father, we praise you that you've delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray that that would be true of each person listening, that they would know for sure that they have uh, an eternal relationship with you through faith and repentance, trusting in Christ's finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Do these things in our hearts, we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.